Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. It is so good to have Sean back. Uh, for those of you who don't know Sean, Sean uh, grew up in this church, um, was actually on staff in an administrative role. Uh, for a number of years, then went away to Midwestern Seminary, and now he's going to be here with us for the next year being our student ministries director. So it's just been really great uh, to have Sean back. He actually um, just got back on Thursday of this week, and his first day in the office is this Tuesday. So Sean, it is awesome to have you back. Well, we are going through the book of Exodus, so if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 32. And let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that we would have eyes to see more of your grace, more of your mercy, more of your power. Lord, we pray that you would use this, this mishap, this rebellion in Exodus chapter 32 to, to warn us, to correct us, to encourage us, to amaze us with your grace and your mercy. I pray for your help to preach this passage, and um, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, to prepare us, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been on either the giving end or the receiving end of the following question? The question is, what were you thinking? Have you ever been on the giving end, meaning maybe you're a parent or a boss or somebody in authority, or on the receiving end of the question, what were you thinking? Well, I'm sure I have been on the receiving end numerous times. One that came to mind was when I was in high school, it was a summer day, I wasn't working, I was with my friend Clinton, and we were in my driveway, and I looked in the garage, and I saw two things. I saw a lighter and I saw a carburetor cleaner. So I did what anybody would do my age. I decided, let's spray paint, or spray with carburetor cleaner, a peace sign on the middle of my dad's driveway, which was my driveway at the time, and then light it on fire, and just see what would happen. And uh, so what happens if you do that is a big peace sign gets stained into the driveway, um, which, I don't remember, I remember scrubbing the driveway because my dad was still at work. My dad's probably watching from Florida. Um, and, and it definitely evoked the question, what were you thinking? And to that question, I, I had no, no good answer whatsoever. Well, my son Adam, when he was a toddler, he is by far the most energetic of the three of my kids. When he was a toddler, he went through a phase where he would just grab stuff and throw it in the toilet. So that was his phase. So I remember one time um, at our house here in town on Church Street, he emptied all of Mary's makeup, everything that was underneath this, and just dumped it all in the toilet. Uh, it, it definitely evoked, uh, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Uh, around the same period of time, we were in vacation in Virginia at the beach, and he decided to throw the TV remote into the toilet as well. And I did what anybody would do on vacation, grabbed it real quick, washed it off, made sure it worked, and just sat it, sat it there. But we all have moments. 
So I'll make you wipe down that TV remote if you're on vacation. Um, We all have moments of our lives where we're either on the giving end or receiving end of the question, what were you thinking? Well, today's passage is going to evoke the what were you thinking question. And the examples I I just shared are are more humorous. But we're going to see in this passage that, that this was not a humorous what were you thinking. This was the Israelites who had been rescued by God. They suddenly turn away from God. And it seems really sudden and abrupt. And it will evoke the question, what were you thinking? Last week, Jason did a great job preaching through Exodus 24, where God's covenant with his people was confirmed. So Exodus 24, one of the verses Jason read was this verse, Exodus 24, verse 3. Moses came to the people, came and told the people all the words of the Lord of the Lord and all the rules. So he's telling what the Lord has told him to tell the people. And listen to this. And all the people answered with one voice and said the following. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So God speaks to Moses, gives them instructions. The people hear those instructions and they say, everything the Lord's told us to do, we will do. That sounds great, right? Well, if you know the story, as the story unfolds, Exodus 24, we're going to kind of fast forward to Exodus 32. Um, in that fast forward moment, God gives a lot of particulars about how the Israelites should be relating to God. And so he's setting them up well as God's redeemed and saved people to know how to live in a way that pleases God and is ultimately a blessing to the surrounding communities as they move into the promised land eventually. Unfortunately, while Moses was still on Mount Sinai, God was writing the Ten Commandments on stone tablets, the people get restless. Moses was up there for quite a while, which brings us to Exodus chapter 32 and verse 1. When the people that saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, Moses' older brother, and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this guy who led us out of Egypt, or led us out of slavery, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. He's up there on the mountain somewhere. So Aaron said to him, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made a golden calf. So he makes this idol, and they say, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast. And they rose up early and in the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And that rose up to play seems to imply sinful behavior as well. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. 
These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. So if you're following, here's what happened. Moses is still on Mount Sinai. God is speaking to him. He's about to come back down off of the mountain while he's on the mountain. For whatever reason, we're going to see some of the reasons, the people ask Aaron if they can have their gold and make a golden calf to bow down to and to thank and to worship. Well, how do the people from Exodus 24-3, how are they the same people that suddenly forget the Lord, forget his word, forget his commands, and completely rebel against him in a short period of time? How does that happen? Well, what we're going to do today, we're going to do an autopsy. The title of the message is an autopsy of a catastrophic fall. So an autopsy is when, when a coroner wants to know what's the cause of death. Let's look and see what happened. And this may seem kind of abstract because we're not bowing down to golden calves. Uh, but we do bow down to many other things. And so I think you're going to see quickly that this has a lot to do with our Christian lives, which is why the subtitle is A Warning Call for Christians. So we're going to look at some of the reasons why this fall happened. Because if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you may have experienced your own struggles with sin and temptation and given in and maybe thought, how did that happen? How did I get here? Or you may have seen others that you thought, man, they, they love this book. They sang songs to Jesus. They told people about Jesus. And then they just seemed to have fallen off the cliff spiritually. How does that happen? Why does that happen? Well, I think we're going to see in this passage that it's not quite as mysterious as it might seem, both for ourselves and when others are on the edge or teetering off the cliff into rebellion against the Lord. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the Old Testament, particularly this part of the Old Testament, has been preserved as a warning for us Christians. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. So this is preserved for our instruction. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands Take heed lest he fall. So we're to be warned. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So this is a New Testament author also talking about idolatry. But when he's talking about it, he's broadening it beyond this golden calf. So what are some of the reasons? If I'm the coroner and we're going to open up the body and see what happened, what are some of these reasons? Reason number one. We're going to hit these kind of quick. The people grew 
complacent. One of the reasons for the mighty fall is they grew complacent. Look at Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. And Aaron was to be a leader. And we'll, we'll talk about him in a moment. He was a leader. He was supposed to be a God-fearing leader. And said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So they're sitting around and they grow complacent. And in their complacency, it eventually leads to rebellion. So in their kind of idle time, their hearts are active. Their past comes in and it begins to influence them. And they, they decide that it would be better to make a false god than to wait for Moses to get back. Remember, these are the people that months earlier were in slavery in Egypt and were miraculously delivered by God himself. And they all saw with their own eyes it was God who delivered them. Now in their complacency, they have grown cold to the reality of the Lord and they make a false God that they want to bow down to. Well, complacency is kind of like falling in a river. If you or I fall in a river and we don't swim, where do we go? We go downstream every time. See, to be active as God's people, we have to be in this word. We have to be fighting for our faith and moving forward. So reason number one, they grew complacent. Reason number two, the people had a misplaced dependence on their leaders. They had a misplaced dependence on their leaders. Rather than going directly to the Lord and thinking we need to obey him because he's our Lord. He's the creator. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the redeemer of us. They kind of put it on Moses. Look at verse 1 again. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered to themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, as for this main leader, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. See, in Moses' brief absence, the people just kind of lose it. They lose their focus on the Lord. And so they are vulnerable. Many Christians, maybe some in this room, maybe some watching, can get really confused when leaders crash and burn. I get really confused when leaders crash and burn. But one of the things that we need to learn is to work on our vertical relationship with the Lord so that it's not dependent on any one human being. That it really is based on Jesus Christ and him alone. And if you do that, you will be able to endure all the heartache and hardship and ups and downs of church life and when you read things nationally of leaders that you have followed and respected and it's confusing to you. That is not Jesus. 
That is not what God is like. That is a fallen person who has given in to a life of sin, usually sin in secret before it becomes sin in public. And so you want to guard and protect against that. For those of you who are newer Christians, which I know we have a number in the room, there will be a time where somebody you looked up to in the Lord, sadly, will fall. And when that happens, you got to be careful. You got to be, you're vulnerable to distort and think this is what it's all about. No, that person who may have gotten ensnared and tangled up in sin is not the Lord. He's not Jesus. He's not perfect. So you want to put your hope in the Lord. Now, Moses did nothing wrong. So I want to be clear on that. At this moment, Moses is communing with God and getting instructions for his people. He just wasn't present with them, and so they, they kind of go off the rails. The, the designated, delegated leader was Aaron, and we're going to see Aaron didn't, didn't do his job either. Reason number three, why, why the fall? Aaron's leadership was passive and misguiding, or misguided. So Aaron, Moses' big brother, Aaron should have known better. But this is what he says in verse 2. Take off the rings of gold. Take off your jewelry, necklaces, rings, uh, the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me so that all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. So this doesn't just happen. You need a form. You need a, you need a process to make a golden calf. So it didn't just get thrown together. And then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So Aaron, who should have been representing God to the people in Moses' absence, instead misleads the people. He creates a false god. And he tells the people, bring your stuff. We're going to make a god like the Egyptian gods, which is really what that was, and we're going to bow down to it. And the people kind of do what they say. Now Moses is going to be He's going to come back down and say, what in the world has happened while I've been up here? So he says the following to Aaron in Exodus 32, verses 21 through 24. And unfortunately, Aaron does not own his responsibility. Listen to what happens. What did this people do? This is Moses talking to his older brother. What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin Upon them. And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. So Moses is, you know, he's feeling it like, what, what in the heck happened? You know the people that they are set on evil. So what's he doing? Aaron's blaming the people. It's not me, it's the people. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So I said to them, this is like a kid getting in trouble blaming everybody else. 
Let anyone who has taken gold take it off. So they gave it to me. Listen to this. I threw it in the fire, and out came a calf. <laughs> like, that's, his, that's the best he's got. It's not my fault. It's corrupt people. And you know what? We got a couple of rings, threw them in, and poof. Here's a golden calf. Let's all bow down and worship. That's not what went down. He had to make a form. He had to be the one who sculpted this thing. And so Aaron certainly, certainly was misguiding and was passive in his leadership. So an application for us, I mean, there's a number. One, let's not be like Aaron or like Adam in the garden and, and blame others. If you have sinned, if you have rebelled against God, own it. If you own it and turn to Jesus for forgiveness, you will experience true freedom. If you spend your life blaming the corrupt people, the corrupt leaders, the corrupt everybody, then you will never be free. You might deceive your conscience, but you will not be free. If Aaron just said, oh, I totally blew it. I went back to our, our roots and followed the Egyptian gods. And I've sinned greatly against God and against the people. The other thing is, as you're learning from other leaders, other pastors or Bible teachers, whether it's locally or nationally or internationally, follow those who, as best as you can tell, are accurately teaching this word. And as best as you can tell, it's hard from a distance, are accountable to others in living a life that's in keeping with their teaching. Reason number four. And this reason might help us make sense of why a golden calf. And why the sins that they're doing. The people defaulted to sins of their past. This golden calf and the kind of the revelry of sin that seems to be implied in their actions, that's their roots. That, they grew up as slaves, but they grew up in a culture, an Egyptian culture that they would have seen since birth. And they would have seen all the false gods. They would have seen the, the golden calf that seemed to, to represent Baal worship. And they, they would have seen all the different sinful activities that went in the worship of false gods. And so they went to their roots. They, they defaulted to their roots. Now, I can imagine, I would bet millions of dollars that on your top 100 temptations in your life as a Christian, it's not to bow down to a golden calf. I feel pretty comfortable making that bet right now. Um, but I would also say that knowing human nature, knowing what the Bible says, all of us have temptations to default to particularly sins of the past. Sins that were your go-to sins maybe before you met Jesus or your besetting sins as you are seeking to follow and obey Jesus. And the right combination of pressure and maybe absence of leadership or accountability or fellowship um, might make those temptations more real. A worldwide pandemic might isolate you more than you've been isolated since you first met Jesus. And those temptations of the past begun to, to become more powerful, more strong. The ones you could walk away with or walk away from now became more enticing. 
Listen to Exodus 32, verses 17 through 20. See, there were some bright spots. We're talking a million plus people. So not everybody, I think it's safe to assume, went in with this sin. And we know Joshua is a godly man. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Remember, these are stone tablets that God wrote the words of the Ten Commandments on. Moses throws them down in anger. And it's symbolic to that the commandments were broken. They, they destroyed them by their actions. He took the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. So he sees the scene and what most commentators or many seem to think is they were not just bowing down to this false god, but they were indulging in all the sinful behaviors that they maybe once did or at least saw the Egyptians do. So it was a sin fest at its worst. Months earlier, they passed through the Red Sea miraculously. They see the Egyptian soldiers and chariots swallowed up. They are free from the wrath and the tyrant Pharaoh. And they are excited about the Lord. Now time has passed and their view of God is is all messed up and their sinful cravings are heightened and their sinful actions are are giving birth to this party of of sin in, in all sorts. See, when we are tempted, you know, one way to think of it is, is think of Egypt as a metaphor. It's a real place. This is a real account that happened. But we can be tempted to go back to Egypt for life and refuge, peace, and some kind of perceived amount of joy. But here's the thing you need to know. It's not real. It will not satisfy. Because of their actions, the wrath of God was poured out. Many, many died on that day. That's how serious the Lord considered this. So what are some of your default temptations? I want to just think about them. This can feel a little uncomfortable, but just think, this is good. This is a pathway to freedom and to joy. This is like... I. I I don't like going to the dentist. You know, it's not a fun thing. I, I think probably most of us agree. And, but if you don't go to the dentist and you never take care of your teeth, they, they eventually decay and rot and fall out. And so it's good, even though it's not pleasant. Well, this is kind of like that. So what are some of those default temptations? Maybe it's going to alcohol or other drugs, whether they are illegal drugs or prescription drugs, for refuge and peace. There's no life there. There's no joy that lasts there. This one's a little trickier. Maybe it's going to people for refuge and peace 
rather than the Lord. The counseling description of that would be codependency. You're, you're looking to people to satisfy something that only God Himself can satisfy. See, the only way you're going to have healthy relationships, whether they're friendships or a marriage relationship or a parent-child relationship or a sibling relationship, is if you are solid in your identity and peace with the Lord. And then it will have sideways healthy effects. Maybe this past year, social media has just been your refuge. That you've spent way too much time going to things that were just kind of mindless. Now, this isn't a bash on all things technology or friendships or anything like that, but you know the difference of hours spent doing something because you don't want to deal with life. You don't want to think about the reality and hardship of life. It could be television. It could be video games. It could be spending way too many hours. I have social media apps. I have a television. We have video game systems. So I'm not saying all those things are evil. But there is a difference if you're going to them for escape and for refuge rather than going to the living God. It could be gambling for thrill and excitement. That, that could be the way you, you are dealing with pressure. It's noticeable and, and sad to me how many commercials there are both on the internet and on television that are targeting young men, young teen and 20-something men to entice them to gamble. There's no life there. It could be going to sexual sin for refuge rather than turning from those things by the power of the Holy Spirit and finding your peace and your joy and your satisfaction in the living God. It could be feeding your besetting sins of anger or worry. Whatever it is, let's not make the same mistake as the Israelites where they defaulted to sins of their past. There's no life there. And I'll say it again, there is freedom and joy when you own maybe where you've been going. You confess it to the Lord, confess it to a trusted friend, and turn by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus' will for you is that you would have life and you would have it abundantly. So that reason got a little lengthy. Reason number five. The people, this is the clearest, the people rebelled against God's revealed will. They rebelled clearly against what God told them not to do. So the Bible is the foundation for our faith. It is absolutely true. From the very first word in the book of Genesis to the very last word in the book of Revelation, it is our authority, is how we know how to relate to God. It's how we know how to respond as believers in Jesus Christ. It is our authority. And so we don't want to do anything to distort this book or reject this book. Remember, they heard this in Exodus 20. God gave them 
the Ten Commandments, and he gave, gave it to them with great clarity. Listen to Exodus 20, verse 1 and following. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to those Steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. See, in this golden calf incident, they broke the first two commandments, clearly. They bowed down to other gods. They created a a, a god in their own image, a false god that they worshipped and served and bowed down to. We can do the same thing. It's just not a golden calf. And we, like them, need to submit to Jesus and to submit to his word. See, they said this in Exodus 32, verse 23. For they said to me, to Aaron, make us gods who shall go before us. For this Moses, this man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. We're going to bow down and we're going to serve others. See, we're in an age, and this is not unique to our age. I think if you study history, this happens. It's been happening um, since Jesus walked on earth, that there will be assaults of the Bible, the truthfulness of Jesus, the, the authority of Scripture. It seems to go in some sort of cycles. We're in one right now, and people are questioning the basics of Christianity. Here's what you need to know. You can trust God's Word. And this might feel a little probing, this whole sermon, but think of it as a sermon aimed for your joy. That's what this is all about. This is not just a correction of if we've gone off, but how can we really experience true joy, peace, satisfaction that the world knows nothing of, that money cannot provide, no sinful escapade can can satisfy only found in Jesus this is what Jesus said about himself John 14 6 I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me he's the absolute way the absolute truth the absolute life giver he's the only one Pick whatever mountain you want to climb that you think will satisfy you. It will not satisfy if it's not Jesus. If it's sports accomplishments. They're good things. We like sports. They're fun. But that's not where you go for joy, peace, and satisfaction. If it's money, we know that very wealthy people at times, have very miserable lives. If it's academic achievements, we know they can be fleeting. Only Jesus. So we want to get to know God 
through this word. If you want to experience joy and satisfaction, spend your life digging in this book, praying to the living God, asking the Holy Spirit to fill you and refresh you and encourage you. And he will. Reason number six, the people trusted in themselves and not the Lord. They had a misplaced confidence. We see that in Exodus 24, verse 3, when they said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We got this. Not going to be that hard. We can do this. And they plummet. We can do the same thing. One of the things that we all have experienced in different degrees is that the Christian life does have difficulties at times. It can be challenging. And we don't want self-trust in those moments. We want to be trusting in the living God. See, this self-trust kind of reminds us of Peter, the apostle, when he said this to Jesus. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter didn't believe him, so he says, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. And we know when Jesus was betrayed, everybody scattered and Peter denied him. Now we also know, if church history is accurate on this, that Peter died as an older man for his faith in Jesus. So he kind of was emptied of himself and became dependent on the Lord. We do not want to trust in ourselves. We live in a cultural age that is just bombarded with self-trust, self-confidence counsel. You can't watch a sports interview for like five minutes without saying, well, tell me how you did all those things. Well, I just believed in myself, just trusted in myself. As a follower of Christ, we don't want to trust in ourselves. We want to trust in Jesus. We want to trust in the Lord's work. We want to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Reason number seven. This is a big one. The people forgot God's mercy and deliverance. Now at this point in Exodus 32, we're not talking years have elapsed. We're just talking months have elapsed. And they already forgot God's mighty deliverance. They were, they were probably just elated and, and amazed at the deliverance. And now they're still wandering around in the wilderness and they, they just lost sight. How do we know that? Well, we, one of the ways we know it is Psalm 106 says this about this incident. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God the Savior who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said, to, said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. They forgot. They lost sight. We must not do the same thing. If you have been saved by Jesus, 
No matter when it happened, whether it's this year or decades ago, you experienced that mighty deliverance, one that was really far greater than God rescuing the Israelites. Jesus forgave you of all your sins. Jesus gave you the gift of salvation when you looked to him in faith and turned from your sin and from your performance-based living and just put all your trust in him. You were rescued. One of the best ways to grow as a Christian is daily remember what Christ has done for you. Recall and remember Jesus' rescue. This is why Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians. Now I would remind you, brothers, sisters of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The gospel that Jesus, who is fully God, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, paying for all of our sins, absorbing the wrath of God upon himself, then on the third day rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. Don't forget God's mighty deliverance. Reason number eight. I'm just going to say the reason and we're going to move on. The people mingled truth with error. All right, I'm not going to skip it totally. So one of the things they did was they, they, they got some things right and some things wrong. So they still had, they had this mingling, which in many ways is one of the most dangerous things Christians can do. Because when somebody's teaching something that's clearly wrong with no truth in it, crystal clear. When they start mingling stuff together, it gets very distorted, very confusing. Two ways that I see that in our culture right now can be mingling culture to kind of, you start with a cultural position and then you read it back into the Bible and then you change what the Bible says about it. That's a mingling. We don't want to do that. Another one that I think we've really seen this past year is mingling politics and the Bible and Christianity. The two are not the same. We don't want to put hope in any political person or system for our country or for our world. We want to trust in Jesus. Now, as I've said many other times, vote, participate, vote your conscience, study God's word, study positions, do all those things as a citizen, but do not put your hope in something that is not Jesus for the world. He came to seek and save the lost. Every political persuasion, every cultural trend that's happening, he came to rescue and make a beautiful bride out of it all. Now, if you think about that, think of the last year of all the stuff we've seen, only Jesus can do that. That's amazing. So don't, don't mingle the two. Reason number nine, the following, the last one, the people were not walking in the fear of the Lord. They didn't fear the Lord. They didn't reverence the Lord. Listen to what Moses says in Exodus 32, verses 30 through 35. You have sinned a great sin. 
And now I'll go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord. At last, this people has a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you would forgive their sin, but if not, please blot, out, blot me out from your book that you have written. So what Moses is doing there, and this is where he's a type of Jesus, hey, if you're not going to blot them out, blot me out. Just take me as a representative of the people. Remember, Moses didn't even do anything wrong. It's a picture of Jesus to come. Verse 33, But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. And now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, on the day when I visit, I will visit their sins upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made a calf, the one that Aaron made. So judgment is being poured out. Now we're going to see next week that there is mercy and there is amazing mercy that is displayed. So not all of God's people experience the judgment. God had mercy. He's going to reestablish his covenant with them. And just so there's no confusion, we want to live in a reverence from the Lord, of the Lord. But if you know Jesus, he's, you're protected. You're covered from the wrath of God. Picture this incredible shelter. You're under Jesus if you have really trusted in Jesus. Now, if you're under there and you have sinned, you need to own those sins. You don't have to fear hell. You don't have to fear being kicked out of the family. But you should expect the Lord will discipline you. There will be consequences for your actions because He loves you. He loves you deeply. So how should we respond to this autopsy? Two ways. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the beauty of the gospel. Let's say you just made a, you're either teetering on the edge or you've really kind of drifted or even you would say full out rebelled. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. He will change you. He will scrub you down from the inside out. And then lastly, this is for all of us who are following and trusting in Jesus. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, reverence to the Lord. Listen to this, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we're to work out our salvation, fear and trembling, and it's God who works in us. So we're not on our own here. The Holy Spirit's going to help us. He's going to change us. If, he's, if you're feeling conviction right now, that's the Lord doing it. If you're feeling like, oh, there's hope for change, that's the Lord working. So let's pray, and the band's going to come up right now, and we're going to respond. If you wouldn't mind standing as we pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that all of us would experience a degree of freedom as a direct result of this passage in Exodus chapter 32. Lord, we pray for those who are just stuck or ensnared in some way, that you would give them a, just a degree of freedom that they did not think would happen this morning. Lord, for those who maybe have come 
become complacent, that there would be a, a fresh energy and excitement and passion to run hard after you, to be salt and light in this broken world, to be your ambassadors and your representatives. Lord, we ask for your help, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.